The scene opens as Indiana Jones moves towards the third and final challenge, which separates him from the Holy Grail. If he obtains the cup, he will be able to heal his father, who lies wounded behind. After making his way through the first two challenges, Indy finds himself at the foot of an infinitely deep chasm. He realizes that the final challenge is a leap of faith that he must believe in order to successfully cross. Indy closes his eyes. He puts his hand on his heart, takes a deep breath, lifts one foot, and falls forward. His faith is rewarded by his foot hitting solid ground. A previously invisible bridge comes into view, and Indy scampers to the other side. Now that was a great movie. This morning, I recall this scene as an illustration of our modern definition of faith, possessing certainty over that which cannot be certain, most often by trusting intuition over logic. Or as Bill Maher recently opined, faith is the purposeful suspension of critical thinking. As a religious person, this narrow definition of faith leaves me extremely uncomfortable. Since when has faith become conflated with ignorance? Can we consider faith in a way so as not to stand contrary to critical thinking and intellectual honesty? The 19th century Jewish philosopher Martin Buber notes that when the ancient Hebrew expresses belief, the Torah reads ma'amin be, not ma'amin sheh, or in English, believing in rather than believing that. To believe that is to judge a proposition to be true. For instance, one might say, I believe that UFOs exist. On the other hand, to believe in is to express trust and confidence in a process. For instance, I believe in the high holidays as an effective means for self-assessment. Similarly, when the King James Bible was printed in 1611, ma'amin was translated as to value or cherish, not to believe. Only in the modern context have we come to define faith as belief in the unbelievable. In his 1896 volume, The Will to Believe, William James observes that if something is certain, it does not require faith at all. I do not need faith that I have two hands. I can see them right in front of me. On the other hand, belief without any basis or proof is merely conjecture. I say that to say that I believe that I can sprout wings and fly is not a statement of faith, but rather one of absurdity. It doesn't make me a spiritual or a religious person to assert certitude in the face of overwhelming evidence that stands contrary to my position. Ignorance should never be mistaken for piety. James argues that faith springs 
from the large gap between the poles of certainty and absurdity, from the gray area of ambiguity which fills much of our lives. James posits that faith occurs when I am asked to act irreversibly upon only partial evidence, when I make a binding commitment under the haze of doubt. Furthermore, faith is not so much a matter of belief as belief does not ask anything of me. I can believe in the Loch Ness Monster and call it a day. But faith is a matter of action in which I am called to make a commitment based upon my convictions. Take, for example, the institution of marriage. Many of us have chosen to take this vow with full knowledge that the prospect of divorce carries complex ramifications. We do this because we are committed to our spouses to overcome any and all future challenges. Despite all uncertainty and doubt, we forge ahead with our chosen partner for life. Many of us here today sit side by side with the person they fell in love with long ago, seek, and are seeking to renew themselves and the love that continues to unite them. There are even some among us today who have suffered failed marriages but have still maintained the faith to marry once again or to at least put themselves out there. No wonder that we express our unique devotion to our spouse as being faithful. One of the most prevalent analogies for the relationship between God and humanity presented through Jewish tradition is that of marriage. Each Shabbat, we welcome the Shabbat bride. The Shabbat morning Torah reading serves as the ketubah, or wedding contract, between God and Israel. Each week, we are married to God all over again. And each Rosh Hashanah, we renew our vows. Understanding our relationship with God as a marriage opens the door to an entirely different way of thinking about faith. Faith in God does not equate to certainty in God. My faith does not mean that I necessarily hear voices or see an otherwise invisible force or being. Rather, it implies a commitment to exploring a relationship with a higher power, that in an uncertain universe, I actively search for God in the world around me. The Talmud tells the tale of Rabbi Eliezer's attempts to convince his colleagues that his views on Jewish law are correct. When a series of miracles of nature fail to persuade the rabbis, Rabbi Eliezer calls out to God to verify his claim. A voice booms out from heaven, declaring Rabbi Eliezer to be right. To this, the rabbi shrugged their shoulders and respond by quoting the Torah, saying, Lo b'shemayim he, the Torah is not in the heavens. That is to say, we do not listen to voices from above. Right there in the Talmud, our sages argue that faith in God does not mandate that God speak to us or that we hold certainty in God. In fact, if we do hear such voices, we should pay them little heed. We Jews 
don't find God through images of refrigerator mold. We don't find God through burnt toast. We find God in our relationships to others and the world around us. My teacher, Rabbi Eddie Feinstein, likes to tell the story of the time he asked a Christian colleague how he responds to challenging dilemmas. I asked God, responded the priest. What does this mean, asked Rabbi Feinstein. The priest continued, I clear my mind of everything else and I wait for God to speak to me. What do you do, asked the priest. To which Rabbi Feinstein replied, I ask my wife. (laughs) Faith does not implore us to shut out the world around us. Rather, it assumes interaction and negotiation with those we hold dearest. Each of us here today has experienced moments of faith over the past year. We encountered the uncertain and nevertheless made binding commitments which carried long-term consequences. Some of us here were married this year. Others of us have had a child. Perhaps the ultimate statement of faith that not only will our progeny be healthy, but that we will learn on the job how to parent. Others of us have changed jobs or even careers. Some of us here today have moved homes or are perhaps spending our first Rosh Hashanah in the Bay Area. Some of us are considering joining the Jewish people and are here sitting in our first ever Rosh Hashanah service. All of these decisions entailed a certain level of faith that we would eventually be able to work things out. We may not consider ourselves to be people of faith, but really, what greater faith is there than engaging our dreams without any certainty of where we may land? The common notion of a leap of faith, which Indiana Jones illustrates so well, was first introduced by the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard in his 1843 volume, Fear and Trembling. In it, Kierkegaard considers faith as illustrated in this morning's Torah portion, The Binding of Isaac. For Kierkegaard, Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his own son represents the ultimate act of faith, a certainty that God is present and has a plan for each of us. Kierkegaard imagined Abraham as closing his eyes and allowing God to direct his actions, calling him the blind knight of faith. Yet I believe that Kierkegaard's interpretation has led us down the unenviable road towards celebrating the gut over the mind. Let us consider today's Torah portion with a clarified definition of faith as the commitment to binding action in the face of uncertainty. Surely there is no better example of this than Abraham. Abraham is called by God to leave Haran and journey across the world to a land he has never seen. Once he arrives, he finds the land to be barren and moves again, this time to Egypt. He finally arrives back in Canaan, where his wife, Sarah, struggles with infertility, which leads to another commitment in having a child with his servant. 
enduring marital strife and a lack of direction, Abraham abides by Sarah and casts out the other half of his family, including the only son he has ever known. And then at the age of 100, Sarah is granted a child in Isaac. The life of Abraham serves as proof that faith is not perfect. Abraham does not have it made as soon as he heads towards the promised land. God's call is not a lottery ticket. To be honest, Abraham probably would have led a much more tranquil and relaxing life without it. He has to persevere to bring his dream to fruition. Therefore, the real mark of faith is not that Abraham is willing to sacrifice his child. It's that he and Sarah have come all of this way and have a child at all in the first place. That they have struggled and scrapped and somehow stayed together and finally in the end have the child they were promised in the land of their destiny. In the original calling of Abraham in Lech Lecha, our patriarch is asked to sacrifice his entire past for the sake of God's covenant. He leaves all he knows in the rearview mirror and heads into the unknown. In today's Torah portion, the binding of Isaac, Abraham is asked to sacrifice his future. God's original promise to Abraham is to make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And yet, in the binding of Isaac, God threatens to take away his and Sarah's only child, the bridge to God's promise. Abraham trudges up Mount Moriah with his son, not knowing what will come next. We see the true faith is not certainty. It's trial and tribulation. As the story of Abraham teaches us, faith is not a leap, which is instant and results in immediate impact. Faith is a gradual process of forging ahead and crossing a series of forks in the road. In this way, we all lead Abrahamic lives, negotiating our way between success and failure, hand in hand, as we walk together through lives of uncertainty. When we come to understand faith as commitment, we may recognize that we live in an era of unprecedented opportunity and need for faith. Our fears, our doubts, our skepticism do not run contrary, but rather represent the very building blocks of faith. If faith exists between the poles of certainty and absurdity, then as our notion of the certain shrinks by the moment, our need for faith becomes all the more prevalent. Whether Bill Maher likes it or not, we are living in an era of faith. Which brings the topic back to us. How do we understand the term faith community, given our refined definition of faith? Well, for starters, a faith community is not a group of individuals who follow scripture or religious leaders without question no matter the direction. David Koresh and his followers were not a faith community. They were a cult. But if faith is a binding commitment in the face of uncertainty, then a faith community 
is constituted by individuals who support one another in meeting those commitments. As we continue on through lives full of challenge, failure, and doubt, members of our faith communities provide vital assistance through life's most harrowing moments. As Charles Duhigg writes in last year's bestseller, The Power of Habit, quote, we do know that for habits to permanently change, people must believe that change is feasible. The power of a group to teach individuals how to believe happens whenever people come together to help one another to change. Belief in oneself is easier when it occurs within a community. Think about it. Who do you reach out to when you struggle in your relationships or in your professional endeavors? Who do you call to unleash all of your frustrations without fear of being judged or looked down upon? With whom do you celebrate your great triumphs and life's small victories? A faith community is made up of those loved ones who give us the confidence to make positive change in our lives. Look around the sanctuary this morning. It's all of us. It is for this reason that Jewish tradition asks that members of our faith community be present at each milestone along life's wobbly and circuitous path. When a baby is born, we first celebrate a bris, and the parents are joined by the honorary roles of Sandek and Kvater, two guests who help to welcome the baby into the community. A minion of 10 Jews is required for a bar or bat mitzvah, as well as a recitation of Kaddish when one is mourning, in mourning or at a funeral. You need at least two witnesses to be married, and the same goes for divorce. A convert to Judaism is welcomed by a Beit Din of three members of the community. Jewish life necessarily unfolds within a faith community and carefully stipulates that we never pass through such a transitional moment alone. And so on this Rosh Hashanah morning, each of us are challenged to answer the call. Where will we place our faith this year? What endeavors, relationships, and processes deserve a greater focus of our faith? And lastly, how are we doing at supporting those around us as they strive to bring their own goals to fruition? These are essential questions of faith because perhaps the most important difference between Indiana Jones's example of faith and our own is that faith needs to be worked on. It takes practice. We don't close our eyes and hope for the best. Rather, we open our eyes, our hands, our hearts to bring the objects of our faith to fruition. As we enter into year 5774, may each of us gain the strength and courage to, de to demonstrate faith in ourselves and those around us. Shana Tovah.